The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Well, as you know, we've been going through the series called A Wog Family Christmas, and one of the things we've tried to tie into that has been our Christmas family devotionals that we handed out a couple of weeks ago and tried to make sure we got most of you, and hopefully we did, and hopefully you've been utilizing this. I've done a few of these devotions on Facebook Live, and so hopefully you've been able to participate in some of that. And I know some of you actually have even brought these with you uh, to church, which is great. I think that's awesome. It's just something we wanted to do to try to kind of sync our church family up to all be participating in the same thing throughout this Christmas season. So I'm going to read this devotional, which is also the title of my sermon today, and that is Promises Now and Forever. And this is on December 9th, page 67, if you want to follow along. We're going to start off by reading 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 16, where Samuel writes, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Today, we remember God's promises of old that apply to us. Christmas reminds us of the best promise ever made and kept. And Jesus learned well from his Father, his word to be with us always, and his words of peace and rest and victory comfort us when times are hard and embolden us when work awaits. And perhaps Jesus modeled those promises for us so that we could follow. No matter what, no matter when, and no matter where, you can faithfully promise your family members to be with them in their hearts, to support them up close or far away, or to remain loyal and trusting forevermore. You can promise to be a sanctuary, a safe place, a comfort zone they can always find. You can make these promises because God and Jesus make and keep their promises and will help you keep yours. It's a gift of follow-through that we experience the more we lean on their promises and claim those promises for ourselves. Children will come to learn that some promises, like God's promise of Jesus, take a long time to come to pass, but that doesn't make them any less true. Our promises are only to be made with great thought and sincere intention, so let's let God's track record guide us through this time at Christmas and always. And just like I do with my family when we go through this devotion, I want to invite you all to repeat after me and say this prayer together that's in this devotional. Father... Thank you for your promises that always come to life. And for Christmas, when we celebrate the greatest promise of all. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a song in there, and we're not going to sing it, so some of you are wiping your forehead on that one. But I do want to read the lyrics because I think it's a very powerful song for us to think about these lyrics and it's the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. And so here are the lyrics to that song I'd like for us to just think on. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high, and close the path to misery. 
Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Man, when you actually stop and read those, it just kind of speaks in volumes the power of those words, thinking about the promise of Christ. I think that Christmas is the strongest reminder to us that God is faithful to see his promises fulfilled. Because as we look back on all of the prophecies given about Jesus Christ, we see that every one of those prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled. Every one concerning this promised coming Messiah, even all the way back to Adam and Eve, the first two people that God created. We see that God spoke to the serpent there in the garden after the Adam and Eve had already fallen and he, they had already sinned. And he gave a promise where he said that there's going to come a, a, a seed, a son, someone from this woman. And you may strike at his heel, but he is going to take that same heel and he's going to crush your head. And so there was a prophetic promise given even that early that God was going to redeem his people. We also see that God promised Abraham, you're going to be a father of a great group of people, a great nation. There's going to be so many, you're not going to be able to number them. And Jesus has been the key to opening up this huge family that has now been made, that has been brought in because of these promises. These promises should give us all assurance that he who promised is indeed faithful. He is faithful now and forever because doubts will come. And when doubts come, you need to remind yourself of the truth because doubts are going to come in times where maybe you're struggling, times when you feel alone, times when perhaps you feel abandoned, times when things aren't working out the way you thought they should. And those doubts come, and some people freak out when doubts come, and they think that they're somehow this terrible person because they have these doubts. Maybe they're doubting the goodness of God, or maybe they even doubt the existence of God. And it's not the doubt necessarily that we need to focus on. It's what do we do after the doubt comes? What's the next thing we do? It's not that first thought, but rather, what's the next thought? What's the thing we're going to do when that comes? Because the enemy will use all sorts of tactics to try to get us to lose hope, for us to throw our hands up in the air and say, this isn't worth it, this is too hard, or this isn't working very well for me, and it's not happening in my time frame. And, and we see the same thing happen in Scripture when people would become very impatient with the way that maybe they thought that the Christ was supposed to come, how he was supposed to come, all those different things. And in the Pharisees' mind, it didn't add up to them. It didn't make sense because they had already come up with their own idea of how God was supposed to do this. And when God didn't do it their way, they got upset, much like we do the same thing. When we want to trust in God, put our faith, put our hope, and it gets stirred, and we're like, God, we're going to trust you to do this. We're going to rest on your promises. We're going to build our faith in this certain area to believe that you're going to intervene and you're going to move in such a way in my life or in this situation. And then things don't happen the way that we want or when we want. And then those doubts begin to creep in. But when those doubts come, it's what you do next. You need to remind yourself of the truth. Remind yourself what is true. And I want you to know that Jesus existed. Even non-Christian historians agree that Jesus, the man, existed. 
They might not all agree that he was from God. They might not all agree that he was our Savior. They might not all agree uh, on a lot of issues concerning Jesus, but they cannot dispute the fact that Jesus walked this earth and existed because even non-Christian historians agree that Jesus the man existed. He was a Galilean Jew. He had some sort of controversy at the temple. He was arrested by Pontius Pilate. He was, pers- he was baptized by John the Baptist, and he was crucified by the Romans near Jerusalem, and people were persecuted for following him and believing that he was their promised Messiah. That's documented not only in the Bible, but in other well-respected historians that we use and we depend on for much of our history that we've learned. As a matter of fact, there's more evidence, both biblical and non-biblical, for the existence of Jesus than there is for William Shakespeare. And no one is doubting the existence of William Shakespeare, I don't believe. At least I haven't heard that argument. There's more, there's more proof, more historical record of Jesus by both historians at that time that are well-quoted and well-depended on and trustworthy for much of the stuff that is in our history books. And so when the enemy wants to come and get you to, to doubt Jesus' existence, listen, his existence spans beyond the Gospels. It spans beyond even the Scripture that we have. He shows up in so many historical accounts that we use. And I just want to encourage you today that not only is He real, but He cares about you. And that's the part that blows me away. I don't get as excited about the proof of the existence of Jesus in other historical documents outside of the Bible, even though that's cool. I get more excited about the fact that He cares about me individually. Because that blows my mind. Because I can't listen to more than one of my kids talk at a time. I, I can't distinguish what they're trying to say to me. Sometimes I just have one kid talking to me and I can't even understand what they're saying. I mean, just stop. Just slow down. I don't understand the words coming out of your mouth. But yet, God not only cares about us and hears us and can distinguish all of the different voices... And can hear all the different things. But man, even if I could pay attention, like to one conversation over here to my left, and I'm kind of like, you know, eavesdropping on this other conversation on my right because I'm nosy. Even if I can pull that skill off, I don't really care about both conversations because I can't really dedicate my heart to, to both at the same time. I have to give my heart and my focus and my attention to one. I have to prioritize one. But somehow God, in his just magnificence and his almightiness. He, he can care and listen to and hear and incline his ear to, to, to our petitions that we make to him because he cares about us. He even knows the very hairs upon our head. He knows how many we have. It blows my mind that he would even be concerned with something so frivolous. It doesn't make sense. That does, that's not something you would want to know, right? Like we should all wear t-shirts with like the number of hairs on our head. That, I mean like just to help Jesus out? I don't know, but he knows. That's weird that he would want to know that. Every time a sparrow falls, he knows. It blows my mind that he cares about each one of us. And that, to me, helps my heart to be at ease and helps my heart to be at rest, knowing that I can trust this God because this Jesus that says he cares about me individually and cares about what's going on in my life enough to listen when I petition him, to pray to him, to reach out to ask for his guidance, to ask for wisdom and clarity, and he gives it freely. I can trust him 
Because I see that the same Jesus that was prophesied about, that fulfilled promise, we're reminded of it every Christmas. And that gives me a hope and a rest and a peace to know that I can trust him. And, I can, if, and if I can trust the promise of God through Jesus Christ, then he didn't limit his promises to just the prophecies about Jesus. There's other promises too that he's given us. And those promises, he plans on making those things good as well because he who promised is faithful. Amen, somebody? I just, that blows my mind when we think about that. Jesus is the promise of God fulfilled and he is worthy of our trust. If God made his promise, then Jesus is all the evidence that we need. All the evidence we need to be comforted and knowing that he's going to watch over his word to see it performed. If he spoke something, if he said something, man, we can take that check to the bank and cash it and know it's good because he is going to fulfill it. He may not fulfill it when we want and how we want, and that's where we have to get out of the way. But Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 12, God spoke to Jeremiah where Jeremiah wrote, Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. God gave Jeremiah all sorts of things to say to the people of Israel. He gave them all sorts of things that he had to go and say. And he said, listen, the stuff I'm telling you, I fully intend to make good on it. And that's what he was telling Jeremiah. And we see that part of God's character in this scripture where we know that God is going to watch over his word to perform it, that he's faithful, that if he fulfilled the promise of Christ coming, why would he not fulfill those other things? And if he is faithful, which we believe that he is, and we see that evidence through Christ, we can rest assured knowing that the God we serve, the God we are worshiping, the God we are living our lives for, the one who has, who has captivated us by the great sacrifice of sending his son, Jesus Christ, then we should be able to have a peace that passes our understanding, that guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus to where we can rest knowing he is for us, not against us, that we can rest knowing that he is good. And we can trust that he is good, even in the middle of the storms. Because it's easy to say, I trust God when things are going my way, right? It's easy to go, God is good when things in my life are good. But what I see in scripture are people that were faced with circumstances that weren't good. And in the face of bad circumstances, they still were willing to say, God is good. They were still willing to say, God is faithful. Because their view of God's goodness was what was not based on their personal experience. Their goodness of God was based on who he is and how he's proven himself faithful. Just like when the disciples, they were in the boat with Jesus one time. And there was a storm. And if you've been in church very long, you might be familiar with this story. Do you remember when the disciples and Jesus were all in the boat and the storm came? What was Jesus doing? He was sleeping. I've never been in a boat in like a legit storm, but I have been in a car in a really bad storm. Have you ever been driving before and there's like a crazy bad rain, like thunderstorm you can barely see in front of you and you're like going five miles an hour and you know it's super dangerous? I'm anything but peaceful. In the middle of the storm, I'm like, shut up, kids. I'm trying to keep everybody alive. Be quiet. Don't move. Don't breathe. I'm trying to keep us all alive here. 
I'm freaking out, man. I'm anything but peaceful in that situation. Maybe you've been in a bad snowstorm when you can't see very far ahead of you. I mean, that's some scary stuff. And you're, in, you're intense. You're, 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 you're all you're just, 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 just crazy in that moment trying to make sure that you keep yourself or the others safe and you don't want to get in an accident and it's a scary situation. And Jesus is asleep during a storm. I wouldn't have been asleep. I would have been one of the disciples going, what is going to happen? Oh my gosh, what's happening? What's going on? Get Jesus. He'll know what to do. Where is he at? He's taking a nap. Are you kidding me? And you're talking about guys. There were guys on that boat that were professional fishermen, right? You're talking about pro fishermen. And if they're scared, because you know that they fished in some rough waters before, because they're trying to make a living, right? So they're probably pushing the edge, you know, the limits on fishing, you know, being out there in, in, in some pretty rough situations. And so if they're scared, uh, yeah, everybody else was probably scared too. And they go and find Jesus, and Jesus, he's like, what? I was right in the middle of the good part of the dream. And they're like, Jesus, look, there's a storm oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And he's like, how long am I going to have to suffer with you guys? Like, is this for real? And he's going, okay, all right, peace be still. And the waves just, and they start going, oh, wow, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And they start marveling at this. And Jesus is like, don't be impressed by that. Do you not know who I am? Why is that impressive? Because I was able to, to, to get the storm to stop? You thought that was cool? Just wait till I die on the cross for your sins. This is nothing. This is something so simple. He said, you don't understand who I am. You're missing it. And because you're missing it, you don't have peace. Because you just want the storm to go away. I think Jesus is trying to communicate something, even with that story that is very relevant in our lives, because we all face storms, and we want Jesus to bail us out. And Jesus is saying, do you know who I am? Whether the storm calms down or not, he's still in the boat, and that's all that matters. And he's not going to let me drown. He's not going to leave me or forsake me and go, oh, this is too bad for you. I can fly. <laughs> now, that's not how it works. He's not going to leave you and abandon you. No, he's stayed in there with them. And he was wondering, why did you not trust me? Why could you not trust that what I'm doing, that right in the middle of this, you're going to be okay. There would be no such thing as wind or waves if I wouldn't have said wind and waves. And I would have come up with that idea. So why are you impressed by this? The very fact that you're even alive today is because I spoke. Do you not know who's in the boat? And we go through these seasons of doubt. We go through these times that are difficult. And I think a lot of people struggle during the holidays because maybe they have tragedy attached to it or maybe they're reminded of who's no longer with them. Or maybe there's a situation that happened that, man, it's just heart-wrenching during this time. Or maybe there's going to be people come to your house in a few weeks that you're like, oh, Lord Jesus, give me strength. <laughs> and... We, we think about all of these stressors and all these things that get us to doubt the goodness of God. And that's what the enemy would love to do. He would love to take this season, this holiday season, where we make an intentional focus on the birth of Christ and do everything to get our attention off of Christ. He wants to do anything he can 
to get our attention off of Christ. Because he knows that if we put our attention on the one who's in the boat and we remind ourselves of the one who's in the boat, and we know he's good and his word, that he's going to watch over it to see it perform. And he doesn't want us to have that type of peace. He wants us to be in turmoil. He wants us to doubt the goodness of God. That's, what he, that's the same tactic he tried in the Garden of Eden. To try to get Adam and Eve to doubt that God was really good. And that he had really given them everything that they need. And he said, no, there's something else. And that's exactly what he wants to do to every one of us. He wants us to go, there's someone else, or there's another job, or there's another house, or there's another position in the company, or there's another benchmark of financial security you need to have, or whatever the case may be. And he gets us to pursue all of those things because we're doubting the goodness of God, and we have no peace. And we think, if I, if I get this, if I achieve this, if I remedy this situation, then, then, then I have peace. And our idea of peace is this reactive thing that happens after all of our world has been settled. We think that peace comes after the waves and the wind die down. That's where we think peace comes from, is after all of the turmoil, when I know everything's good, when everything's been mended and reconciled and restored, then I can exhale. Then I can go peace. Now I can be happy. Now I can have joy. It's almost we give ourselves permission to walk in peace and permission to walk in joy when everything's right and everything's well with the world. The problem is nothing's ever right. I don't know if I'm talking to anybody in here today, but I want to let you know that stuff always comes up in life. And so therefore, if we have this idea that peace is going to come after everything is all right, then we think everything has to be all right. And we go, well, maybe God will help everything to be all right. And so we ask him to make it all all right. But I don't see that in scripture. I see people who are faced with death who are still willing to go, I have peace. I see the Apostle Paul who's in chains going, I can do all of these things through Christ who gives me strength. I see people who God was in the boat with them and they missed it, just like you and I miss it because we forget how good Jesus really is. And that's why we need to remind ourselves when doubts come because doubts will come. Fear will try to come to get you to doubt the goodness of God. And if you can doubt the goodness of God, then man, you're opening yourself up for all sorts of anxiety, all sorts of fear, because you're doubting that he is who he really said he is. But when you remind yourself of the promises of God, and you see that he who promised is faithful, that he's watching over his word to see that it's performed, you can see that Jesus Christ is a huge fulfillment of the promise of God that he gave to the very first two people on the planet. And so if he's faithful to watch over that, why would he stop there? It's not like he said, nope, I'm out of fulfilling promises. I did the whole thing with Jesus. We're good. No. If he's still giving us his promises through his word and we're still learning his character and his nature, man, he's still making good on promises. It just doesn't happen the way we want. And that's where we struggle. It doesn't happen how we want. And we get frustrated but when I can trust in God's word and know he's going to make good on his promises both now and forever, you know what I'm able to do? I'm able to rest. And that's why getting into scripture for yourself is so important. I mean, I love that you come to church here. I love that you come and listen to my sermons. And maybe, maybe you're one of these people that you're like, that was so good. I'm going to listen to it again. And you actually go on the website and listen to it again. Or maybe you share it with friends, or maybe you watch a video again. Maybe you missed a service, and you go back and watch it because you don't want to miss. That's awesome. I love that you do that. 
But if that's all you do, then you are going to be very weak in your faith. And when doubts come, you're going to be a lot more susceptible to believing those lies that the enemy whispers in your ear. It's the same thing if an athlete who was training for some major competition or some warrior who was training for a battle, and he decided he was going to eat one meal a week. But man, it was going to be a good one. And that's what people do. And I appreciate it when people come and say, man, that was a great sermon, Pastor. That was the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. That's really great. I don't care how good it was. It's not enough. Because think about your favorite meal. I mean, maybe you're a surf and turf guy, right? Or gal. Maybe you think like the best meal on the planet is like when you can have steak and lobster. Whoever came up with that is a genius. Steak, good. Lobster, good. Steak and lobster, yes. Whoever came up with that, we'll call it surf and turf. That makes it sound fun. Because cows turf and lobsters surf. And you have this wonderful meal, and you could eat it. And have you ever done this before? Have you ever done this? Where you go to a restaurant, and you order something really nice, or maybe you cooked something, and you eat it, and you're like, I'm an expressive person. I don't know if you know that or not, but maybe you've picked up that. And when I eat something good, I'll be like, oh, this is the best meal I've ever had in my life. This was so good. Oh, I'm so stuffed. This was so good. And I'll go tell everybody about this meal because I'm so excited. I'll go find random strangers. I've, I'll, it doesn't matter. I'll tell random people about it that I just run into. And that's why my kids hate going to the store with me. They're like, Dad's going to talk to people. Um, but <laughs> but I, no matter how good that meal was, I am going to have to eat again. It could be the best meal I've ever had. And folks, it could be the best sermon you've ever heard in your life, but it's not enough to sustain you and help strengthen you to defend against the doubts that will come. It's not enough. You have to abide in his word. As a matter of fact, God spoke to Joshua, and he said, keep my law near to you. Hide this thing in your heart. Study it day and night so it can actually get inside and it's not just up here you need to know who God is you need to know his promises that's why that we do things like bring in Bob Utley to teach us how to properly handle the scripture and and learn how to study the Bible that's why I teach on studying scripture that's why I talk about context that's why we do this stuff because my job as the pastor is in Ephesians 4 and 11 to equip the saints for the work of the ministry I want to equip you not just spoon feed you I want you to be able to self feed I don't care how good it is when you come here it's not enough it's not enough Because the enemy, man, he's got a plan and he's got an agenda and he's ramping it up because, man, it seems that that, that the wickedness in people's hearts, it just keeps getting more and more exposed. But the beautiful thing is that as the darkness gets darker, the light gets brighter. And you and I, we have the light of Christ on the inside of us. And we need to be able to stand for what we believe. We need to be able to know the truth and to have peace. Because this isn't some formula where God does it my way because I, I, I stood right, I talked right, I did all the right things, I s- served just enough, gave just enough, sacrificed just enough, and now God's going to just, you know, sprinkle fairy dust on my life and make it wonderful. It's not how it works. It's that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
He didn't say that you're not going to walk through that valley. He didn't say that storms weren't going to come. He didn't say that your marriage wasn't going to be, uh, was going to be easy and sunshine and roses. He didn't say that you would always have all the finances you needed and you would just be able to go buy whatever you want and do whatever you want, take all the kinds of vacations you want anytime. He didn't say that. He didn't promise that. He promised that he would be with you to the ends of the earth. He promised that no matter how bad it got, that he was never going to leave you and for you to actually not be afraid because he's overcome everything. He said, you know, don't be impressed that the winds and the waves died down just because I got up and said, peace be still. He said, I've actually overcome the world. And so be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Have joy and rest because what I've done for you is so huge and so significant and we've got to capture that. We've got to get that. We've got to think about that more because we're so temporal minded and we don't think about eternity. But everything we do here on this life impacts and affects eternity. That's why it's so important in, in Hebrews chapter 10. If you have your Bible, you can go over there. Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 10 and verse 25, actually, let's back up and go to verse 24, where the writer says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day of the Lord approaches. Here he says, as followers of Jesus, we need to be encouraging one another to do good works. We need to be spurring one another on to do good things. We need to say, hey, let's link up. Let's do something for the Lord together. That's what we're doing here in the church. We're wanting to do things together like support global partners, like serve together, like provide more opportunities for ministry so that more people can hear the gospel together. We're spurring one another, encouraging one another, challenging one another to get connected, to get involved. And he said, and don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't forsake meeting together. He said, that's the habit of some. Some people thought, I, I'll just go do church on my own. I'll just go just be a Christian by myself. He said, don't do that. Some people are in that habit, man. I can read the Bible for myself. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> maybe you've even said that because maybe you've got burned in a church before. He said, no, 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 no. Don't neglect just because a lot of people may be doing this. I can just do this, you know, at home. Or I can just do, no, 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 no. He said, there's something to being together that happens where, where that trust in Christ is reaffirmed, where you're reminded of the gospel, where you're encouraged to continue to do good works together because you're not supposed to do this by yourself. Because you can't do it by yourself because you're not that cool. I'm not that great. You're not that great. We need each other. We're better together. Don't you agree? We're better together. We need each other. This is not a, a one-man show. This is not something we're trying to accomplish on our own. This is not something you can do by yourself. God said he wants us to do this together, that we are better together and that's why we do things like community groups. That's why we do things like Team Wog. We're trying to encourage people, not just so we can go, oh, look how many groups we have at our church, or look at all, blah, blah, blah. Who cares about that? I'm not interested in that. I'm not playing those games. I'm more interested in eternal impact. And I know that the best type of discipleship happens where there are relationships. And, and if that's the way discipleship's going to work best, and Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, that's why we try to get people connected in these things. Not because you need something else to do during the week. 
No, because this is important, because this impacts eternity, man. This is an eternal thing. This carries an eternal weight. It's bigger than you or me. And I better make these things a priority because Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. That's why I don't understand when we get this thing backwards and we say, oh, I'll do all these things for God and I'll get connected and I'll do all these things after my life just kind of settles down a little bit. I see nowhere in Scripture where Jesus said, hey, get all your ducks in a row, get everything figured out, and then start serving me. You know, wait till your schedule clears up, then get connected in Christ-centered community. Wait till your schedule clears up, then start praying. Wait till you have more time, more free time, and then you can start spending time in my Word. I don't see that. I see the opposite, where he said, prioritize the things of God in your life, and everything else is going to flow out of that. And here he said, don't forsake, man. Don't forsake, because doubts are going to come, guys. Challenges are going to come. You're going to be tempted to go, this isn't worth it. You're going to be tempted to go, this is too hard, I quit. You're going to be tempted to say, man, it's not happening the way that I thought it was going to happen. You're going to be tempted to do that. You're going to be tempted to go, Jesus, wake up. Get up, fix this. And Jesus is saying, man, I'm in the boat. I haven't left you. I'm still faithful. My promises are now and forever. And if I've brought you this far, I didn't bring you this far to abandon you, to leave you hanging high and dry. But are you seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? That's what Jesus said. He said, why are you worried about clothes? Why are you worried about food? Why are you worried about your house? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Prioritize eternal things. Put God's agenda ahead of your own. And say, not my will, but your will. And he said, all that other stuff that you've been worrying about, all that other stuff you said when it all gets fixed and it all gets set and it all gets right, then you'll begin to really give your life to the Lord and really serve him and really make him a priority. No, no, no. He said, all those things will happen as a result of you seeking first the kingdom of God. That's the way it works. And for us to trust that that promise is true is the same way we trust in Jesus Christ. We see in the Word. We see in the Scripture where God made good on His promises. And Jesus is going to make good on the promise of seek first and all the other things will be taken care of. The reason we don't seek Him first is because we don't really trust that that promise is true. Because if we did, we'd live like it. But if we can trust in the prophecy of Christ, in that being fulfilled through Jesus, our Messiah, our King, our Lord, if we, can, if we can trust in that and see how God was faithful, that should spur us on and stir us up to go, I can trust you that if I seek you first, I know you're going to take care of all this other stuff because we're all worried about other stuff. And God's not worried. He's chilling in the boat. He's chilling in the boat, wondering why you woke him up. Don't you know I'm in the boat? You know, even though he doesn't have to, God has qualified himself worthy of our trust. He's proven himself over and over again, and he does not have to prove himself to you or me. He does not owe us that, but he still has done that. That's what blows me away is that even beyond things we read in Scripture, we have personal experiences that we can go back to and point out that that was God in our lives. He doesn't have to do that for us, but he still does. 
And so when doubts come, remind yourself of the promises of God, not only that you found in Scripture, but remind yourself of how God has been faithful to you and your family. Remind yourself and be around other people who will remind you when you start going crazy too. Because the enemy will want to plant thoughts in your head and make you think all kinds of crazy thoughts that you never would have thought before. And he'll whisper those things in your ear. But I'm telling you, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done for us, strengthening our faith. You know, if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and my role is to build and strengthen my trust in him, then what's the best way to do that? What's the best way to build trust? How do you build trust with anyone? You get to know them. You get to know them. How do I get to know God? Through his word. Through his word. Because Christianity is a relationship. This is so much more than just another religion. It's not like you, you walk up to the jukebox of religions, you put your quarter in, and then you flip through trying to find the one you like, and I just happen to pick Christianity. No. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to God except through Jesus. He's the only way. And all these other religions, their deity that they call their God, they have no access to him. They beg and they plead and they try to do enough good to try to get his attention. But our God, we have access to where Scripture says we can boldly approach his throne in time of our need to obtain mercy. We can go and talk to God. We have an open relationship with him, not because of anything we've done, but rather in spite of what we've done. It's all because of Jesus we now have a relationship with God. God is holy. God is perfect. God is just. God is merciful. God is wisdom. God is love. God is peace. And he wants to be all those things in your life. And he wants us to take that message and share it with the world. For us to trust him more, we have to get to know him more. And the more I invest in my relationship, the more my trust is deepened. The more I deepen my trust in him, the more I can rest. I believe that the greatest reward that comes with trust is rest. Can you rest today in your heart? Can you rest in your heart today? Are you troubled today? Are you struggling the answer is yes, then it's time to deepen trust because you can know God is good and his promises are for you now and forever. The same God that proved himself faithful is still showing you he is still good. He is still worthy of our trust and he wants you to get to know him. Amen, church? God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this opportunity to share your word with our church family. I pray you help us to grow deeper in our trust and our love for you. Help us, Father, to just continue to grow and deepen that trust and rest. And, and if someone's struggling here today, I pray that they would be able to make peace with you, Lord, by receiving your Son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior, by confessing in their, with their mouth and believing in their heart that, Jesus, you did die on the cross for their sin. And that you alone are the way and the truth, the life. And we want to dedicate and commit our lives to you because we recognize you have done something incredible for us. And we want to live the rest of our lives solely dedicated to your glory, your purpose, your will. Help us to do that. And those who are struggling, 
I pray they would find rest today and a peace that would pass their understanding, that would guard their hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.